We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Browns drop a tough one in Seattle, 24-20 to the Seahawks. This is your OBR postgame coverage immediately following the game. It's myself, Andrew Spade, Brad Ward. Going to share that with you guys. Late night games make for tough re-recordings of stuff you've already talked about. So plenty of good insights in there. I wanted to share with you with a brief opener from yours truly. Plenty to get to. A lot to cover this week. A lot of big thoughts about where a 4-3 and three football team is. Let's get it kicked off on the latest OBR film breakdown. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns, coming at you. Before we get to the post-game show here on... Uh, I'm recording this late Sunday night here. Really want to talk about one thing in the 24-20 loss because we cover a lot of it in the post-game show. It's that 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 third down play, right? So I thought Kevin Stefanski did a really good job play calling in this game for the most part, right? I think there are times when there are third and shorts earlier in ball games that you guys prefer him to run. I understand that. The dilemma that's at the heart of this whole thing is how much trust Stefanski should have in a quarterback like P.J. Walker, right? Because he is giving him big moments in games and living by a third down do or die mentality that is putting the ball in the hands of P.J. Walker on really big plays. There are several of them. I'm writing about this. You'll see it up Monday at the OBR. There's clearly a trust Kevin has with his quarterbacks to operate some baseline concepts, sometimes out of empty, sometimes with the back in the backfield. Here's my issue, and again, I elaborate on this more on the postgame show, but I want to be very clear, fundamentally clear. I thought Kevin called a really good game. There are parts of the offense to pick apart. Donovan Peoples-Jones' disappearance and the disappearance of that role in general, despite really good production from that role with a backup quarterback last year, there are parts to pick apart and play action, how they're able to, or unable to, create opportunities downfield off of play action, right? Some of those little nuances that we saw last year that we're not seeing this year, right? But I think I want to be clear, Kevin is doing a nice job finding answers for his run game and his quarterback. They've done a nice job. Haven't consumed the All-22, but from the live viewing, I was encouraged. I wrote about the game ahead of time, talking about the Browns needing run game efficiency, right? Not popping a 70-yard run and then having 120 on the day and calling that efficient, right? I'm talking about four, three, four, five, six yard chunks. And they were good today. Good run game balance across the board. 55 from Hunt, 41 from Strong, 37 from from Jerome Ford. Thought they did really well. Ended up in the game rushing for 155 on a really tough Seahawks defense. And that's where I'm at. And, I, and again, we talk about it in just a little bit. The thought process around that fourth down decision. We'll get to that. I'm not really talking about the here, but I am talking about the still shots of the play and, and, and kind of taking that play and then, and then boiling it down to quarterback air, okay? Here's a couple of issues with that. You cannot separate all the time the way you want to as a supporter of either the play call or the quarterback the role of each of those guys in where a ball is thrown. What I mean by that, when a play is called, it has a read. It's usually going to be pick a side or it's going to be a one, two, three, four follow process, right? That's how football concepts are drawn up. You either get to the line and you have, hey, it's a man identifier or a zone identifier. I can pick my side based on that. Or there's a one, two, three, four process. So you might see a guy wide open somewhere, but if the quarterback's eyes aren't there, that's, you can't blame the quarterback. Okay? Because if the quarterback, now the quarterback could be wrong and you can blame him to an extent, but you also have to blame the person in charge of coaching him and getting him to the right place 
with his eyes, with the processing, you have to put responsibility in that person's lap too. And a lot of people gloss over that. And again, I thought Kevin called a great game. I thought he made the wrong decision in a very key moment on third and three with the time on the clock and the ability to use two downs to run or potentially set up a play action on an even shorter situation on fourth down. But I would have been a firm believer of two runs there. At the, at the point in time, you were running very efficiently, pretty solid chunks, three, and again, you needed three, three, four, five, six, sometimes popping it for more. They had a good game. So I was a believer in two runs. But when you pick apart that individual play, you have to understand a couple things. From a play caller's perspective, you guys watched the game the way I did. Browns used P.J. Walker to throw the football on earlier situations, right? What does he tend to do a little bit? He locks in pre-snap reads, wants to get the foot, doesn't want to take a sack, wants to get the football out to Amari Cooper. So if you're going to call a concept with him being on the front side of it, that's probably where he's going to lock into it, right? It's going to make it difficult because teams are going to cover Amari pretty closely. They know the same way you guys do. He is going to target him. Amari Cooper had 11 targets in this game. The only other person above five targets, Elijah Moore had five, two catches for 30, David and Joku had four for 77, largely coming off screens. So, hey, if it's money down, I do two things. I'm going to run blitz that can also turn into a pass blitz on a third and three in case they run it, but can also create havoc for the quarterback. And I'm telling my guy covering Amari Cooper, you better lock, tighten up, and jump the first move he makes, right? Because again, when the money is, is on the line here, there is a clear preference from Walker to find Amari Cooper. On third and three in the same drive, right? Ironically, same drive, third and three. Amari on the right side hits a double move. I think, have to see it, but it's a deep throw up the right sideline on third and three. Little double move is what I would presume. It was open, quarterback missed it. Got lucky because there was an illegal use of hands other places on the field. So you keep that drive going. You once again get first and eight, sorry, first and ten, pick up two, second and eight, pick up five, you're in the same identical third and three. Two-by-two two concept. Again, I believe it was the same two-by-two two concept. Not the same route, but this time, out near midfield, we're going to jump this thing, right? And they did. Even if the ball was thrown and completed, Amari Cooper, I shouldn't say completed, even if the ball was thrown and got past Jamal Adams' helmet, ironically, funny enough, um, that ball was probably not getting caught. And I don't even know if it would have been a first down. It was a slant square and a little slant and uh, under route paired on the right side. So you all look on the left side, and you see David Njoku running to the flat, kind of open, semi-open. You see the back release late in front of his face. You're asking P.J. Walker to get there. Yeah, I get it. You see it from afar, right? But it's clear P.J. Walker wasn't getting there. He was locking into Amari Cooper several times on third and shorts, had that ball down in the goal line. He threw back shoulder, even though Elijah Moore had the drag route wide open. They kick a field goal instead of getting a touchdown. The quarterback has given you ample evidence of what he's going to do. So you either have to call a route that is guaranteed to be open, i.e. maybe a double move, or give your quarterback a read that he has to go away from Amari Cooper because they're blanketing him. So I just, on on levels of like looking at this and blame, you want to blame the quarterback, I'm just, you know, still shot using and stuff like that. And again, I don't, like that's not, that's just not how it works. And if you're trying to blame the quarterback without blaming the person giving him the play, and giving him something that has Amari as the frontside read, then I think that that's a pretty flawed logic for analyzing who's to blame for this. I don't, I don't really hate the pass situation. I, I love going for wins. I love going for the jugular. It would have been a nice play if it had been completed, but the, the concept wasn't great, right? P.J. Walker struggles against the blitz. It was clear Seattle was going to blitz him. They did. It's just all of the elements that P.J. struggles with are right front and center. So that's, to me, why... If you're running with some run game efficiency, I'm probably going to hand that ball off a couple times because you're really running it well. The fourth quarter, you have dominated them to the tune of 11 carries for 51, 56 yards, I apologize, with long runs of 12, 9, and 5. So it's not like they got huge chunks here. 5.1 yards per carry had not really taken many negative zero runs at all. I don't have that data up. I'll get it up for you tomorrow. But like, they were, this is one of the few times this year, because again, I wrote about it, but they were putting together some run game balance to put themselves in short third downs. So... Kevin called a masterful game. I thought he did a great job. He gave his quarterback a lot of opportunities to make plays, but when you're trying to decide if the third down throw call was right, don't use still shots. Don't do that. Understand that the play is called with with purpose behind it, and there's also a, a tie, a relationship between the play caller and the quarterback that share equal responsibility in the decision 
and the thought process behind what transpired on the field, right? If it was inaccurate, that's on the quarterback, right? Coach can't walk out there and throw it for him. But the decision is driven by the quarterback, right? There's some basic things, more basic things. Think back to San Francisco when a head coach on the sideline tells him, do not throw this football unless he's wide open. He makes a bonehead throw. This isn't that. I'm talking about in-structure processing in a, in a moment that you want to throw it downfield. Like, they share some responsibility here. You can't isolate Walker away from Stefanski. Like, they're tied. The concept is specific for a reason to the side it went to, right? So, and if he doesn't, if he's unable to process that the way you want him to, then you probably shouldn't give him the responsibility in that moment to make that decision because he can't handle it. So take it out of his hands. Again, masterful job by Kevin. A lot of great things. A lot of reasons for optimism the way they battle back. And we'll talk about that in the show here. I thought there's a lot. Of, there's good takeaways from this game, despite being really frustrated they lost. But I just want to reiterate, this is not a Barry Stefanski thing. I know a lot of you are blaming him for the loss, and that heat is justified based on what I'm saying here. But a lot of good came from this game, despite a tough loss. There's a lot around it, a lot of film to break down, a lot of why how to figure out, right? And we'll do all of that for you here at the OBR Film Breakdown, right? There's a lot of optimism ahead. They're 4-3. and three. Got some winnable games coming. Doesn't make this one hurt any less in a game that you really should have won. Would have been great for your momentum going out northwest, getting a game like that. But nonetheless, you can't dwell on it. You got to move forward. Can't recreate the past, but we can look at the mistakes that were made, some of the decisions, the thought process stuff around it, and try to talk through football concept. You know that's what I love to do. So that's what we'll do this week. Again, rough 24-20 loss for your Browns. Everything will be covered for you, starting with the post-game show with myself, Andrew, and Brad, which is really good stuff. Check in on um, your Tuesday podcast for Fit Check. Again, late games, getting kids to bed, really difficult to get with Kelby to do that. She was exhausted. So we will do the Halloween Fit Check, maybe be in a little bit better mood on your Tuesday, a little bit more removed from this game. So check in for that. Appreciate you guys stopping by. Let's get over to that post-game show right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. 
All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. What I would say, Brad, and the way I was going to kind of kick this off is, is to say that I think that this game feels a lot like the last two games in that you can say some positive things about the way that the team played, both offensively and defensively. You can criticize some of the things that the coaching staff did. Uh, and you can say that, you know, they deserve to win. You can say that they didn't deserve to win. I think, you know, these last few games are a little bit of a Rorschach test here, right? Where it comes down to one play, two plays at the end. And, you know, they had a little bit more luck last week. Uh, and the week before, and and they suffered, you know, this week, I mean, like any time a, a ball hits a helmet, it could go literally anywhere. So the fact that it went the ball went high, so high. <laughs> yeah, it went, oh it, was, it was basically a, 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 a pop fly. That was a can of corn at that point. And it was wild. You know, if, if that ricochets to the right, it goes, it skitters out of bounds and it's, you know, uh, fourth down and you punt and maybe they score a touchdown anyway. So it's hard to put too much on that one play, but it is also, you know, the, definitely a turning point in the game. So it, it's, uh, like I said, I, I think these three games are as close as NFL games can get. They yeah. come down to a bounce of the ball literally in every game. And um, I think sitting with a two and one record through this three game stretch with all of these games being as tight as they have against these opponents, I think it's, it's, it's probably a fair reflection of where things stand for the Browns. And it could be worse, right? Like exactly. I think it, it certainly could be a missed field goal against San Francisco and a and a and a fumble ruling on the illegal contact penalty, and it's an zero and three stretch here. So, yeah, I mean, if you would have told us way back when into the bye week, three and one after the bye week, if they can get this, now everything hinges on Arizona. You have to win that football game because if you can come out of that three and one, you feel pretty good at five and three. You can still go places now. I think you would agree with me. Glossing over this loss is tough because yeah. they had a lot of opportunity to figure it out, get a win. So let's go to the, the game's most pivotal moment, mm -hmm. right? It's third and three balls out. Let me make sure I have the uh, exact list of, uh, you know, outcome here in front of me. I think it's down toward the bottom. So I, when you're done, I have a couple other moments. Yeah, I want to mention we'll get too. to it. But this is the most important thing people are certainly wanting to talk about. It yeah, we got to talk about three, this first. At 204, right? 204. So you're 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 taking a timeout just ahead of the two-minute warning. You yeah. come out two by two. You had been running it pretty well. I want to remind everybody that there was really good run balance in this game. I writ wrote written wrote about the run game efficiency ahead of the game, about how they were too boom or bust in the run game. And I think you guys would all agree with me. Their shotgun run game was pretty good. It was it was, it was doing well. And mm -hmm. doing some nice quarterback reads off of the different designs, right? And they were getting Walker out in space a little bit. He ran six times for 27. Jerome Ford, who like came off of like a first half suspension, it was really weird. He just popped up in the game out of nowhere. <laughs> Nine carries for 37, 4.1 average. Pierre Strong, 10 for 41, 4.1. And then Kareem Hunt had 14 for 55 and essentially four yards of carry for him. So they were running with efficiency. It's third and three. Here are your outcomes. You can run it, not get it, punt. Minute and some change left, minute 57, whatever. It would have, have been right a little past the two-minute mark. So a minute 57, you kick it down there. Maybe it's a touchback. Maybe you get it down inside the 10. If you run, you run, you could get a first down because you had been relatively successful running. Or you throw it because you think they're sitting on the run and then it's an either complete first down and it's, you know, Seattle I think had two timeouts at that, at that moment, if I, if I remember correctly. So you had a real chance to – it's not guaranteed to ice it, but you had a real chance to put it away. Or it's incomplete. The weirdest outcome of all is that the ball hits off the forehead of Jamal Adams, shoots up in the air 30 feet, lands in the secondary of Seattle without anybody to break it up. Yeah. So the question is, and I think you guys have made the point so far, Kevin called a pretty good game today. Mm -hmm. Is that call the wrong call? The outcome sucks. Ball's at the 40, right? That's like way worse than a punt, obviously, because, again, anything could happen on a punt. I guess it could be returned out the 40, but very unlikely. 
do where do you guys stand on the call andrew i'll let you go first then we'll jump to brad yeah i'll just add one more other thing which is that if you if you run the ball or get a few yards there you you have a chance at a short fourth down if you want to make that aggressive uh a call as well which we've seen stefanski do that in other situations this would have been a pretty high leverage moment to decide to go for a fourth down but he could have you know so i will and i will say if he'd have okay so they run it there two minute warning you come out fourth and one and you pick it up right that's an addition that's the i mean it's they could they say second and short is the place to be but like that first down would have then burnt another timeout to get the first down then you have a first down one seattle timeout yeah and now now yeah so 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 based on that based on the uh, the possibility of setting up a fourth down go for it situation if you're if you're six inches to a foot to two feet short I would prefer a run there because I don't think a run there that falls short necessarily means you're punting. So it, it, you still have options there. Uh, so that would be my, my preference. They were running the ball. Well, I, I still, you know, I, I understand you cannot call the game scared when you have a backup quarterback, just because you're a backup quarterback, you can't remove the pass from, from the game. But in that sort of a situation, I, I would prefer to take the ball out of a, a quarterback who has struggled against pressure and who has struggled to to make reads all game he threw a few nice balls but if he's not seeing it right away things get the process gets really bogged down so that to me tells me i want to run that ball brad go ahead yeah i i i thought they were going to run it i i prefer they would have ran it there with the same thought process in mind that if you get it close enough it's one of those situations where you get in the huddle and you say guys we've got a foot to win this game basically right and the way that we've been getting push and running the ball all game long uh you feel like you might be able to do achieve that um i'll mention it at, that's just where i was with that and i'm not gonna kill stefanski for throwing it that's fine that's what he thought they had to do there you know really pj there was an open player you know, it's just he gets locked in on a read, it appears, before the play, and he's not going to get off that read, right? right. Which that's is part of why you the run tell. the ball. That's, that's yeah. the tell, because right there was the, the third down on the goal line where he has the cro- the shallow from, from Elijah Moore, but he locked into the back shoulder ball, and he knew it off the field. He, he pointed it himself. He actually did a nice job after that of coming down to one of those to Elijah Moore, but he he's clearly got a habit of doing this because again, when you're a backup quarterback and the game's moving fast and you're five ten, and everything's kind of chaos in front of you, sometimes you just want to get the ball out. I want to take a sack, right? I want to take a sack. That's, that's the worst thing I can do. So I want to get the ball out. It was pretty clear. You want to get the ball out there. So, you know, to your point, both of you guys, I think said it right. I, it's unfortunate because I thought Kevin called a really good game, did a great job scheming stuff all game. And this decision is sort of the crux of the game, and I, too, would have run it. I would have used the two downs to get three yards. Reminder of runs that happened before this, six yards, five yards, four yards. It was first and ten. They got a two-yard run from P.J. Walker on a pull uh, off of a read, and then they got a five-yard run from Pierre Strong uh, off left tackle. So you're sitting third and three. Probably would have gone the direction of running the football there, and largely because and I, I'm, I'm fine with it if you have a dog at quarterback, if you got a real yep. dude. Like, no For problem sure. with that. But if you don't, that's risky. And again, risky because he's given you enough evidence now to tell you he really can't handle those moments. Because if you guys watch the replay, that ball was not getting caught. They, right. they, they're running a slant with an under and out a popular concept. So it's a, it's a two by two concept, right? And what you'll see is teams will run a RPO where they'll read it and they'll have a slant to throw off the back, the um, inside linebacker. And then they'll have a, a what's called an under route paired off of it. He locked on to the under. I don't, I can't tell you. It wasn't an RPO because there was no run look to him or whatever. He was locked into the under route and it, it might have been caught, but it was, they were sitting on it. They were sitting on it. Now the backside running back, I think leaked out. Ford. It's really hard to get to that when you have a free runner. Jamal Adams is a free runner yep. off of the right side protection. So you would have had to make him miss, not impossible, had to have made him miss pump fake. Maybe you make him miss. And then you could maybe check that down or run for it. But again, this is who PJ Walker is. I'm sure Kevin's going to be up all night frustrated with himself for making that call. Um, but again, I think it was, I think we could safely say it was the wrong call. I just wanted to walk through all of the thought process around it. I'm sure Kevin thought if we throw it and we don't get it caught, I can punt it down to the inside the 20 yard line, make them go the whole field on our defense, which at this point had been playing lights out. They gave up 17 first quarter points and hadn't given up a single point since then. But the way that that ball gets hit off the helmet, it gets intercepted. 
The energy changes. It takes one play to get them into the field goal range. You could feel the defense just not just not meeting that moment. And it's largely because, again, the momentum shift that happened there. So I know we have some other moments we want to get to. I just thought that moment is obviously it's the singular one. driving moment of the game. And uh, I think if we walked it back and gave Kevin the chance to run through that whole mental process again, he would choose a different route. But I will say, guys, and you could probably agree with me, he in these third and shorts – has been going to PJ Walker and throw decisions a lot, a yeah. lot. And I and I would like to ask him, what's giving you the confidence to do that right now? Because he's not meeting you in the middle on those right now. Spiked the ball to the left side flat. Did he misread? Again, we talked about the goal line back shoulder that he threw, and there, I'm sure there are some others just That's, fresh. Wasn't off that the sack game, fumble whatever. in the first quarter? Wasn't that? Yeah, out of where you could third see, quarter, Yeah, third I'm literally sitting there. I'm like, hey, he, I said slot pressure, slot pressure. He's cheating. Yep. Like, if this yeah. was on Amazon it's Prime, it would have been obvious. red circle underneath yeah. him. He didn't see it. Nobody touches him. Strip sack. So yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I think Kevin has done some really, really good things, but there's clearly a lot of trust in PJ Walker to process, deliver. In, in not just in advantageous moments, but like serious game deciding moments. And, and, you know, PJ's turning it over too much. It's a problem that the, the three turnovers cost you that game. So there you go. And, and Brad, we can, I know you have some things you want to hit on so we can jump to you. I, I just wanted to say, take it one possession earlier where <clears throat> the Browns have the ball. They're driving down the field. They've ran the ball pretty heavily. They've converted a few third downs. They're at the 40-yard line of the Seahawks going in, and it's the same situation. It's third and three. There is where I want to see them go. We have two downs, especially where we are on the field. We have two downs to get a first down here, go in and score. That's a kill shot at that point. If you score on that drive and you're moving the ball and you have momentum and the, the crowd is you know, somewhat quieted because of the way you're moving the ball down the field. I mean, you're, you're taking their will with your run game at that point, right? Like you're getting three, four a pop every time on that drive, uh, that they throw it. He throws it in the dirt at Ford's feet in the flat, which may have been a first down. That's fine. But, but even though it would have scored again and it could have been a fourth and one or two, right? So, correct. Yeah, correct. But I just would have liked to have seen, them approach that down even more aggressively than this last one with run run again we we have two downs to get three yards we're getting four pop on this entire drive let's go get the first down let's go win the game play to win instead of not to not to lose right and uh it felt like that he threw it at his feet and then they punted it away from the 40 and i was kind of like that's it for that drive. Like that felt like the drive of the game where you go win the game yeah. to me. Yeah. And I'll say that they were at that moment in that drive running with relative efficiency. They'd popped a 12. They popped a four. They end up running for two on second and six to get it to third and four. So like, then you come back out again and you establish some more good run game report at the five minute mark. I was just talking about, I just thought the feel of the game as you wore into this wasn't the Colts game where they were putting themselves in good first down positions and then and then having too many negative outcomes on second down from the run game. You could really feel that they had a like a real way of either I, I have to rewatch what schemes they were using, but I feel like they had a real feel for how to knife between a gap to a gap with some backside B gap pop stuff happening from the gun, having Walker read it here and there. I just thought that they missed a feel for the game in that moment and in two of those moments. Right. Um, and maybe again, Kevin had a, a, a real stern belief that I have to think that his mind was saying, if we throw an incomplete pass here, we'll punt it and we'll, we'll win this game with our defense. But yep. um, it's just, it's a miscalculation for, for what they were doing well in the feel of that game. And again, the quarterback. And I think that, that there's going to have to be some self-reflection about how he's treating the quarterback right now, because it's, it's, it's hurting them, Andrew. It's really hurting them. Well, and I think it segues into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, with the trade deadline on Tuesday, there's obviously a lot of speculation out there about if the Browns make a move there. I, you know, there are varying reports on Watson's uh, readiness, his health, some suggestion that he might be back next week. But I think, um, you know, based on what I saw last week against Indianapolis, I think that would be hasty to expect him back next week against Arizona. 
So, and I think that the, the other question is it, it doesn't, it's not clear based on, you know, how they've diagnosed this injury that a full recovery is going to be possible in the scope of the season. So in, in terms of that, so I think it's a question about, you know, if there is a player that, that is available to them for the right price that could come in on fairly short notice and allow them a little bit more balance in the past game in those sorts of situations, because Jake, you're right that it does appear that the head coach trusts PJ Walker, uh, arguably more than he should. If they had a better option, maybe so he, you know that player would be able to cash in some of that trust on those plays and keep them on the field in that situation. I know that next week is a relatively easy game against the Cardinals, who are now one and seven, I believe. But there's no guarantees in the NFL. Beyond that, the schedule you know has two divisional games. So, uh, Brad, I'll go back to you. If you know, if you're Andrew Barry sitting in the office in Berea over the next two days, how hard are you pushing to add a quarterback to this roster? I feel like it's too late, Andrew. I feel like if you're going to do that, you needed to do it earlier. Um, and I feel like at this point, I don't know. I guess because we don't know what's going to happen with Watson, ultimately, you have to answer all those calls and take a hard look at it. But I don't, I'll just say this. I don't think they're going to do anything. Um, no, I, I, I agree with that, but I don't, I, that's less interesting to me. I'm more interested in what you would do. I would take a hard look. I would answer the calls, uh, but, but you I think it's be too knocking down anybody's I, door. I'm not knocking down anybody's door just because I think it's too late. I think you needed yeah. to do this a couple of weeks ago. Right. Jake, same question to you, man. The problem is we don't know the timeline on Watson still. We're sitting here being told he's two weeks away. And I guys, like, how am I supposed to feel confident that he's two weeks away? I'm watching him celebrate with only his left hand on the sideline, like Classic I just left I, left hand fist pump. That's yeah, how I like, celebrate. I, I just don't I just don't understand. Okay, you're right, Brad. It is too late. If you had diagnosed the injury correctly before the Ravens game and you had a prognosis that told us four to six weeks, at that moment you could probably get hyper aggressive to try to find somebody that could really bridge that gap over that six week span to give him enough time to get right. There still feels like there's this need to get him right, get him right, get him right, but the, the timeline won't allow for it. So like you're up against the wall here with, and that's why today was so vital because you would just like to sort of stack these games that you maybe had no business winning. And I think you guys would all agree with me when they were down 17 to seven or 14, nothing early. It felt like, boy, we are about to get whitewashed here. And I will give Kevin and his staff and the players a ton of credit. They fought back like crazy and, and really dominated the middle chunk of this game to the point that, I mean, outside of, the first 11 minutes of the game, guys, maybe 12 or 13. I can't remember how many minute, uh, minute seconds were left in the first quarter after that field goal. And the last drive of the game, they controlled this football game. That's what's the most disheartening about it. Uh, yeah. The loss angle here is that they controlled a lot of this thing. But again, I think there's a mixture of things here that you're right about, Brad. It, it, it does feel too late because if you give up something valuable for a quarterback that then ultimately isn't going to play for you because maybe Watson does come back healthy, then you feel like you wasted more assets on the idea of what is Deshaun Watson, which is really hard because we haven't seen the net return on anything they've given him, right? And then also on the other hand, you could sit here and tell me, Jake, what we have to do it because we don't know when this guy's coming back right. because we still don't know. You're getting Adam Schefter tweeting about it. You're getting all these people saying different things. And it's like, I'm supposed to have confidence that Deshaun Watson from the Colts game that can't that that is leaning against the I can't do anything is going to just come back and be better than PJ Walker. I don't have that faith. I don't have that faith. You might disagree with me and that's okay, but the faith and belief in that yeah. is not there and especially considering how Kevin's playing, you know, he's giving his quarterback reads, he's doing different things to put the game in his lap like I just I have a, a serious question about whether, you know, we again, I've been saying this for a couple of weeks. I know, you know, Andrew, maybe you've heard me say it, Brad, but we have this belief that getting Deshaun Watson back gets you the best version of Deshaun Watson back. That's not the case. We have no. we have the Tennessee game. He started to put it together, but we, we have what we saw in Indy and a guy who's really hurt. So how do we how do you have this belief? He's ultimately going to come back and be better than PJ, who, again, made some real throws in this game. You know, he still he threw 15 of 31. That's not good enough. A couple picks and a fumble. But he had some real throws in the game too. Like 
Do you think you're getting a significantly better version of dinged up rotator cuff damaged Watson than, than that? Like that. So that's where it's like, we want to believe the solution is sitting out there and we just don't know that to be a fact. So it is very tempting to entertain the idea of calling and talking about a quarterback. There's only one. It is Jacoby Brissett, largely because there's familiarity with the verbiage, the system, the coach, all of it is, it's like Kareem Hunt in a sense. The only difference between him and Kareem Hunt is that Kareem Hunt didn't go learn a new system, right? So Jacoby goes and learns, you know, um, what what is his name? Forgetting his name. Uh, Eric Biennemi's system, all of that that comes with that. So you'd have to wipe the slate clean and go back to doing what he did with Kevin, but there's familiarity. If you trade for somebody else, now we saw the big swing that everyone wanted to talk about was Kirk Cousins, but that was a really sad situation with his Achilles tear today. There's just not enough time to feel comfortable what i'm saying by that is like you're trying to weigh all outcomes and there is an outcome where deshaun is back in two or three weeks and then you gave up your second or third round pick to get that done and then you're like okay now we have a quarterback that's just sitting on the bench for the rest of the season so there's just more into it than a madden trade that just like he comes in and he starts for you right away right so the only option is Brissett, but it feels to me like that even is riskier than you want it to be because Washington does hold all the leverage, right? And I'm not certain who a guy who hasn't played this year is just going to come in sharp, clean, and ready to go. So there's a lot and, more to this than we want to admit. I think Brad's right about his timeline statement. I'm I'm just looking ahead at the timeline, and it's so murky that I don't feel good about any of those moves. And there's only one player that's even worth having a conversation about. And I do think that we're playing a little bit of hero ball and how we remember Jacoby who was good at time. He'd be fine. I do think he'd be fine, but is his fine that much better than PJ Walker? I'm just saying, I'm not convinced the way he hasn't played this year. And a lot of those elements that it's just worth that swing. So um, maybe listen, they got DTR involved a little bit today. Maybe they're going to try to reel him in, uh, and in, into some more situations and they'll give him an, an opportunity to play a very controlled s- style too. But as of right now, guys, this is the hand they're dealt. You got to beat the Cardinals, go to the Ravens game. You hope that the Deshaun is healthier or you, you just keep limping around. You just got to keep fighting and keep the, keep fighting the good fight. That's, that's really the only angle you have that is consistently believable right now. To your point, I get it. Like, we have no idea what Watson is going to be or in in likely not healthy version of Watson. And the healthy one hasn't been good enough yet, right, for the most yeah. part, outside of one game. And we, we also don't know, like, how long this injury thing is going to go. And I guess that's my thing is, like, he could come back and play one game again and we could be looking at two or three more weeks because he gets hit wrong on it or it's – Maybe it maybe he doesn't recover, you know, even come close to being effective again the rest of this season because of the injury. So in that case, this is your last opportunity to make a move. So I I hear both sides. I'm torn, right? I'm torn mm-hmm. um, because you make some good points about we don't know. We have no idea what the outcome is on the other side, and and, and that this sense that that he is the answer and it's sitting there is. It's a great point. We don't know that at all. I, I, yeah, I don't want to oversell what Jacoby Brissett is as a quarterback uh, because I think, you know, he, he played his best football of his career with the Browns last year. So the chances of him being able to recapture that for the, however many games he would be involved, I think are, you know, that's, that's the big question, but I do think there's, there's two components that I'm interested in here. One, one is that I think he has, less of a propensity to turn the ball over, which yeah. is killing them. Every game that PJ Walker has played so far, the turnovers are yeah. are absolutely murdering them from an efficiency standpoint because they're they're getting the ball into scoring territory and then handing it over to the other team. That and, and you can say like that can't happen. It's this is who PJ Walker is, right? This is what he does. So uh, that part is, I think, the biggest thing for me is that you've got your two options right now are a PJ Walker player, you know, a PJ Walker that that we have seen how he turns the ball over, or a rookie in Do- Dorian Thompson Robinson who also is pretty turnover prone. Um, and so that that's the the component. And then I think the other component is there's more much more clarity, just like there was clarity with the Kareem Hunt move, and it it gives you a sort of a veteran answer, a, a steadiness in that room. 
Jacoby Brissett would provide the same thing for the quarterback room and for the leadership on that side of the, because the part that is killing the Browns right now is that they don't know week to week who their quarterback is going to be, right? Because we're about to do this all over again this week with Arizona. We won't get any clarity tomorrow. And then maybe Kevin Stefanski will make a decision Wednesday. More likely we'll probably have to wait this week until Sunday. So that is, I think is, it makes things harder on the team in, in total. And I think, having a player who is much more comfortable in a last minute starting capacity like Jacoby Brissett is going to help in terms of steadying the ship. So I am not interested in trading a first future first round pick for Jacoby. And it's possible that the commanders don't want to trade him in which case there's nothing you can do. But I think I would be pretty aggressive in trying to figure out a win-win trade that gives the commanders an asset that they can use to improve their team while at the same time, giving a quarterback to the Browns that can kind of steady this ship. Because even if, Jake, to your point, even if Watson comes back for two weeks and re-aggravates his shoulder, the Browns are in a position right now where you now you would be going back to P.J. Walker. It feels up in the air again. You, there's a much higher level of trust and calmness around the building if Jacoby Brissett is that guy coming back into the game. What are you willing to give up for him? I mean, I, I think you know typically Barry likes to do a pick swap or something like that, but... I, I I would definitely be willing to give up a fourth round pick. You know, I mean, they got a yeah. fifth for Dobbs. If, you know, if you have to get into the third territory, things get pretty pricey. But I also, where the Browns are at, um, th- the players are more valuable to them than the draft picks. Like, I know that they're in cap trouble and down the road, they're going to need draft picks. But the chances of a third round pick ever contributing to a team in the way that Jacoby Brissett is going to contribute to this team this year, if he comes in, in my opinion, that's that's worth the trade. But I would be pretty aggressive. Let's yeah. shift tone a little bit here. So yeah, the Browns' defense has given up 12 plays of 20 yards in the last two weeks. Coming into good? last week, they had given up 11 plays total on the season of 20-plus yards. So the, the question is, I think Geno Smith has been fool's gold this season. There are people that were telling me he was playing pretty well, and I'm like, I'm not seeing it. And he proved it again today. I thought he was really rough. Uh, the Browns gave away some opportunities, letting him get out of the pocket and create. That was really frustrating. They have, and I know the Browns have a free, free plan to get to the quarterback. You know, you do whatever you need to do to get there, but you also can't let quarterbacks because you're all clustered into the middle, trying to hit a spin move or a swim or whatever, just escape laterally out of the pocket for free vision throws. Like that's something they have to really start honing in on a little bit as they they talk about pass rush plan, but. Kenneth Walker goes eight carries for six. I'm actually stunned looking at the stat line. He only runs eight times. He runs for 66 yards. Zach Charbonnet only runs five times for 53 yards. Those two averaged 8.3 and 10.6 yards per carry. It's kind of crazy. The Browns ran 20 more plays than Seattle. Seattle had a 6.6 per play. The Browns had a 5.1. Browns had the football 13 and a half more minutes than Seattle. So, the explosive plays that teams are putting on the board. Now the Browns did again. It was a yin and yang situation, sort of the same same way as last week was, where it was turnovers were created, and the Browns did create two turnovers, two interceptions in this one. They dropped a third one, which, as we all know, sitting here right now, when it was seventeen all, looms pretty large. When Cam Mitchell had that football, oh, uh, he jumped up the left sideline. It would it would made for a completely different tone of the game. But I think that there's a question of the run game stuff, why it's happening, right? They're giving up way too many big runs. I I think there were three runs or four runs over 12 yards today. I think there were three of the four over 20. Those are concerning. And, you know, the pass game stuff was relatively okay. I thought the scramble drill stuff is where Tyler Lockett was at his best. They did a pretty good job. I'll give Martin Emerson real credit. Five catches on 14 targets is all DJ or sorry, DK Metcalf was able to put together 67 yeah. yards. I guess what I'm getting at, the big play stuff, they don't feel comfortable in zone coverage to me. Do you guys notice it? They yeah. feel very... Yeah, it jumps off the screen. Very much uh, unsettled in how to handle coverage with zone stuff, and that is leading to some big plays. And I'm I'm concerned. I know we had talked about this, Andrew, throughout last week about we don't think they're historically good. You know, I, I didn't th- think it was sustainable. You were playing some bad offenses in those stretches of of games. But this stuff with the big plays is a concern because it doesn't feel like they're in the last two weeks, although they only gave up 24 and had a chance to win. And I'm giving them credit while also saying the big plays are really what is hurting their 
ability to keep a team under, in this case, 24 points, right? And I know the offense turned it over three times. I'm fully aware of this stuff here. It's not like the, I'm saying the defense cost them this game, but I think there's a trend you guys would agree with, the trend of big plays. They shot themselves in the foot in the first quarter really quickly. And I don't even know if I have a question so much as I'm just seeking like your analysis of it, where you sit on the defense. We'll go to you first, Brad. Uh, I, I agree with you. It's what you said about the zone. And Andrew said, yeah, it jumps off too. I, I think that like there are times when you see them communicate at the line of scrimmage. You see like the secondary and the linebackers and they look like they're all communicating and they know they're all on the same page. In the second half, we saw this at times, right? And it looks like they're communicating really well. Uh, and then those plays usually end up well, right? Like they end up like doing a good job on those plays, but there are other plays that you're talking about when they are clearly in zone and uh, it just appears um, they have a tough time, you know, handing guys off through responsibility uh, efficiently, I guess, uh, from zone to zone without leaving huge gaps in the field, right? Or huge places to sit down in the field. And it's ending up in a lot of big plays. I, I thought early, especially, they didn't get any, they didn't get home enough or pressure the quarterback enough uh, in this game. And uh, they eventually got there, but, uh, and Miles got there, you know, it's, I, to your, what you're saying is true. I don't blame the defense for this game. I thought they, played pretty well but too many explosive plays yeah i think it's probably a product of i don't know they do some silly sometimes juan thornhill takes some ridiculous angles even on that last play of the game i thought that was a like the the where he gets in the end zone that was a little i don't know why he came up the field that way you know what i mean um felt like they should have got they needed to get more pressure early other than that, I thought they played pretty well. You're right about the explosives and the zone stuff. I mean, I don't have a lot of complaints about the defense other than the way they they came out of the game. I would just say they came out and started the game extremely flat foot, flat-footed, and they looked not ready to play early. Andrew, you same to you. Yeah, I think uh... – it, it yeah the, the the thing that's that's becoming clear is that they're not going to be a game a defense that's going to win you games on their own every week right that i mean what what miles did last week is the exception rather than the rule where he's creating points on his own uh both you know by blocking a field goal by strip sack in the end zone all those sorts of things that's not a week to week thing now obviously the cam mitchell pick 6 would have been <laughs> mm-hmm. the exception to that but that's the whole point right is that those plays don't happen sometimes and then that leaves you in a position where you're, you know, you're, you're wishing that it would have happened because obviously that wins the game, but they did turn the ball over, which is good. They've continued to do that over the past few weeks. I do, I do just think that, you know, the, 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 the defense is playing well enough to win if the Browns can put together more consistent offensive performances. And I think, I think the, you know, the explosive plays are a problem in so far as they, are giving up too many of them. And then they're making some of those drives for the Seahawks in the first quarter were very easy, right? They were not having to do much to get in the end zone. I, I don't mind a boom or bust defense, I guess, philosophically, right? Because you're going to create some turnovers. You're going to create some pressure, but you also maybe occasionally get gashed. I'm all right with that trade-off. The part that I'm struggling with is that it feels like they, at times have struggled to show up in those moments. You know, I think if Jake Moody hits that field goal against the 49ers, bingo, we're kind of starting to feel like, okay, are they able to really like win games for this team? And so that's the concern that I have. And that's where the, the explosive plays being given up more readily. Then you, you start to feel like, like when the Seahawks got the ball in that pick, I didn't have, my concern was keep them from a touchdown. I was already conceding the field goal, right? Because you know they're going to be able to move the ball. The Browns do not have clearly the type of defense that's just going to smother teams. It's more about opportunistic creating havoc, which can work, but it really is built for a team with a strong offense because then you get a lead and you turn them loose. And and in these tight games, they sometimes can end up being a liability. Yeah, when you when you look at some of those games that they have played their best defensively, it feels like I'll I'll look at the statistics, but again, they're they're a higher volume of man coverage partly because they find their way to be in, in, in the lead for a majority of, and they were right there or in the lead for a majority of this game too. 
you're right, really bummed out that they're not meeting some of those moments. Because you're right, if Moody hits that field goal, it's it's certainly a different vibe around them getting off the field. And, you know, the 40-yard line just inside the 40-yard line isn't, you know, it's not great situation, but you can still give up a couple first downs, right, and have a chance and to get chunk played a couple times in a row, and especially to watch Fant run up the sideline, sort of reminiscent of that Broncos game all those years back that, that just bringing back bad memories where he's breaking tackles. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. They're good enough to win. They're certainly good enough to be a top 10 defense, but they have to, they do have to find some answer to some of the big play stuff here that I think is hindering the outcomes. They did a good job today of getting off the field on third downs, whereas the Colts last week were seven of 15. This week, they were only four of 12, Seattle was, right? And they created a couple turnovers. You know, uh, obviously, a great play for Martin Emerson to create that first turnover and then the second interception. Um, when it w- help me out with the second interception, where am I? Oh, it was Maurice Hurst, just an unbelievable play on a yeah. fire zone there, dropping into coverage. So, I mean, the defense to me, it, they didn't. I mean, they went the like challenge. six or seven straight three and outs, yeah, didn't they? they? They were good enough to win this game. I think you define a great defense. You guys would agree with me. It's a really good defense, a great defense in that moment today needed to do it again. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were unable to sort of step up to that challenge the same way in the San Francisco game, but they got the fortune of a missed kick. So, but again, the three turnovers, everything's in their lap, right? Everything yep. is in their lap. So it's really tricky. It's really tricky. I'm not in any way. No one's blaming the defense. It's just a conversation worth having when you've seen the explosive plays that have fit recently. So well, right, let's go I ahead. Think the, the other thing just to say about that is that they're getting schemed up a little bit more. Right. Mm-hmm. We saw that last week with Steichen for sure. And I, I, I'm quite certain that the tape will reveal the same thing this week with Waldron. So the book well, is starting to get out. So they got to find some adjustments, especially in the first quarter. Right. right. Like exactly. coming out. And then, yeah, they yeah. were able the to make some adjustments have been really strong from there. In a row. But the, yes, exactly. The, the, yep. the scripted stuff, they're finding some things that work early, especially. Yep. Let's close on this. Uh, y- your sense of urgency or like calm or panic. Let's go calm panic. Hmm. how you're feeling about where they're at after this game and what's looming ahead. Because if I remember correctly, they have Arizona, which is there is no easy game in the NFL, but it's certainly winnable. And then they get Baltimore on the road and then they get Pittsburgh at home. Really important three games. Two of those are division games. So are you feeling calm about where they are despite this outcome and their ability to get to two and one in the next three? Or are you feeling panicked about their ability to get to two on the next day? We'll go to you, Andrew. Uh, I I don't I I don't feel panicked, but I also don't feel calm. So I'm right in the middle, and I, I would just say uneasy. And the uneasiness all str- stems from the quarterback situation because it's very hard to win in the NFL without a quarterback, right? So if you look at those three games, I feel okay about their chances next week against Arizona. But then those next two games, the on the road to Baltimore is going to be incredibly difficult. Um, and then the Pittsburgh game in Cleveland, we know how that goes, right? And we know what the Pittsburgh defense does to the Browns. They they are always going to be ready for it. So, you know, t- from a from a trajectory of the season standpoint, I think you got to figure out a way to win two of those games. Ideally, the home games makes the most sense, right? But the big thing for me is just the the uh, sense of unease because until the quarterback situation is resolved in some meaningful sense, I'm going to be uneasy. It might be mean that I'm uneasy the rest of the season. Yeah. As I'm sitting here and thinking about it. So I said earlier, I wouldn't make a move on quarterback, but as I'm sitting here thinking about it, you may have changed my mind, but I'm I'm thinking about the fact that if everything goes well, like what would make me calm in this situation? Would Deshaun Watson being healthy next week, 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 make me calm? Certainly not. That would not make me calm. I would still be just as worried about our quarterback play then as I am with PJ Walker. So uh, I guess that means there has to be a door number three, right? Uh, I I mean, I I think, you know, even if he can get, if Watson can get back to where he was at the beginning of this season, even not saying the Tennessee game, but just even the beginning of this season, I think that would be, I would be okay with, I would take that at this point. I think that's still better than what PJ Walker has been doing. Oh, of course. If the the Tennessee game was good, it was good. But again, I'm saying before, like even, like even, even the ups and downs of Cincinnati. Totally right. Totally right. Yeah. I I mean, because those three are so close together. The the Pittsburgh game is like, we watched 
at times Jacksonville over there just it happens to everybody in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. But yeah, like so. go ahead, Brad. I don't know if you can count on that though. Even no, no, I, I agree. But I'm I, just saying if he's healthy. I am firmly yeah. planting my flag on the flag that there is nothing that we should believe with Deshaun Watson right now. Uh, totally. There's totally, totally. No, it is a lotto ticket for the rest of the season. But so. if if he came back against Arizona and was throwing the ball normally, sure. I'm not saying I could predict that he would be good the rest of the season, but I could predict that the quarterback shuffling is over for now. That's yeah. Like I just to see him be able to to do the process of throwing the football. That's how low the bar is for him at this point. I would that would reduce my level of unease. Yeah, I'm not calm. I'm not panicked <laughs> uh, either. Uh, but I'd say if if I had to pick, I'm I'm closer to panicked than I am calm. Uh, I'd say that you know just because of uh, if this team if I didn't think this team couldn't be really good. Andrew, Jake, then I yep. wouldn't be this panicked. I'm panicked right. because you see the talent. You see what's potentially there. Them outplay the Seahawks today and not win because of some silly, silly shit, right? Like some silly shit again. And, you know, I years prior losing games like this didn't mean as much because you didn't think that, you know, the ultimate outcome, the ceiling wasn't there, but the ceiling is there with this team. I just don't know. I don't know how you achieve it without a real quarterback. Yeah. That's what makes this year. So unfortunate is even if, again, if you get Deshaun back, you're still dealing with it all season. This is the third year in a row of dealing with quarterback uncertainty. And it's like, you're, you're watching players that are core parts of this team spend three years going through this and three years is a damn near lifetime for some NFL players. So that part of it is what sucks the most. I am with you guys. I I feel some optimism from this game because I really thought they put themselves in a lot of good places and Kevin was dialed in. It does suck that it comes down to a couple moments at the end of that game where they had a chance to ice it away and didn't get it done. So I again, some optimism there. Certainly don't ever feel good about losing a game. You had a real shot at winning and, and, and really you probably look at the sort of structure here they they had a they should have won that game i don't know what the probabilities were but i'm sure they were favored to win that game at various points in this one so that part of it stinks it looks like dobbs has been announced as a starter next week you're not going to see kyler murray uh jonathan gannon the coach of the cardinals who's making his return back to the to his roots up in cleveland uh confirm that so that was one element that was sort of lingering out there the browns have a real chance to win and if they get to five and three the tone shifts and you have two division games with a lot of things you want right in front of you Right, you never know in these division games what's going to happen. Um, I I will just say again, they can't control the circumstances of what's going on with Deshaun Watson, but they can control their attitude, their effort, and how hard they're playing. And I would say that the coaching staff is really, really deserving of being commended for how hard the guys are playing, the effort they're showing, and putting themselves in the position to win some tough football games with really porous quarterback play. So hopefully, there's a shift in thought process around how they handle the quarterback play stuff with with a, with a backup a guy who's a little more limited hopefully we can see that adjust can't sit here and promise that's going to happen but i would like to see that stuff adjust but anything on the way out the door guys before we shut this episode down that you want to sort of echo out to people before we uh like i said sign out i think the point yeah. that you made jacob sorry brad uh, the point that you made jake about the um the running game coming along is that's big news right because if if they can whoever the quarterback is whichever you know, a weird quarterback situation we get stuck with next week and in the weeks to come. If if they can run the ball reliably and efficiently, not boom bust, you know, six yards on first down, negative four on second, that changes the way that the quarterback has to operate the offense. That's a big development. And the Seahawks are good against the run. So if that sticks, if that's, you know, something that stays with this team, then maybe that alone, Jake, makes it possible for Stefanski to shift some of his play calling in those situations because he can start to trust that they can get those yards more more fully because they they have been poor at times this year in those sorts of obvious run situations, and I understand moving away from it. But if they're back in that way, that's a big development for this team because it's really strong running game, and this defense is enough to make the playoffs. Right on, Brad. Uh, a play that I'll be interesting to see what you see from uh, Jake, and you might even be able to tell me now uh, whenever you do. Are you doing chalk talk tomorrow? What's the plan? All things uh, go according to schedule. Yeah, we'll try to get to it. Yeah, well, whenever it uh, you do do it, I'll be interested to see on the play that they got bailed out on on the last drive, uh, the third down, 
that he threw to Cooper, where he appeared to be wide open um, and threw to the wrong side. Did he throw to the wrong side of him uh, coming out of his break? I don't know. It looked like he would have gone for 70 yards and a touchdown if he throws it uh, properly. But they got the hands to the face call. I'll be interested to see what happens there. If you listen to me and Jake's uh, game day uh, podcast, um, for the first time ever, Jake, uh, every single leg of the parlay hit. So if you played it, you cashed uh, $140. So you're welcome. There you go. Right on. Right on. So listen, hey, on the way out the door, Kevin's going to take a lot of heat for this game. He should. The third down decision was rough, and it doesn't feel to me that a lot of what he did in the game will get recognized, but the scrutiny is real and he'll have to deal with that. We'll see what his answers are. We'll cover everything we can for you from the OBR's perspective, chalk talk, various shows throughout the rest of the week. We'll get you everything you need and have some write-ups on the game as well. So for you guys who hung out about 300 of you, I really appreciate you guys hanging out here, being around. Uh, Obviously, uh, like I said, it felt, felt like there's some, some good within the bad, right? The yin yang we were talking about earlier, good within the bad. Um, we'll, we'll talk about how they get to five and three and there should still be off. The season's not over. It's not over. A lot of things to be defined for this year still. So thanks for everybody hanging out to Andrew and Brad for coming by as well to Ian in the background, doing the great work that he does, the tremendous work that he does. We appreciate it. Go watch some Sunday night football unwind. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday night. Thanks for being here guys. Have a good one. Go Browns. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.